My face is so hot. <laughs> On account of the sunburn. The nice, lovely sunburn that I acquired at the beach. At Corgi days. Oh my god, yeah. Corgi beach days. Oh my, we, we showed up and we were super... We're super on time, is what we were. We got there mm. like eight. That's new for you guys. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> oh my god, so much shade. Yeah, so we got there and like parked and then texted Danny's friend. We were like, hey, we're here. At the exact same time, she got a text and was like, hey, we're here too. Oh. So, yeah. That's, that's always nice. We went and set up the tent and, and just watched corgis and their owners just swarm onto the beach and I was like oh my god I couldn't be happier so for five hours I just went look at that one oh that one's a bumblebee oh they had them in costume there was one that had this little like Hawaiian shirt on and had a like a little surfboard prop strapped to him and it said bad to the bone oh my gosh see and I just saw a corgi with a bandana at the farmer's market Mm -hmm. and was KO'd. It was out of it. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, that yeah. is too good. Done. I would die. Yep. And I got to sit with, like, two of them like, on my lap, slash like, next to me. And I was like, oh, god. My my happy meter is just <laughs> topped up. Through the roof. Through the roof. <laughs> I am just pumped full of happy endorphins right now. Mm-hmm. It was solid. But I got sunburned, and now my <laughs> cheeks... <laughs> <laughs> my cheeks and my forehead and my arms are flaming. Flame, yeah, flaming hot Cheetos right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm very sorry that happened to you. It's okay. Danny was this morning. Danny's like putting sunscreen on. She's like, "Do you want this?" I was like, "Well, we'll take it with, and I'll put it on when we get there." <laughs> Didn't do that. That's your fault then. So now I don't feel bad for you. I cooked like a piece of bacon. <laughs> <laughs> Did I tell you about Zeth's sunburn? No. We went to the beach. Oh, wait. Yeah. (laughs) When he sunburned his fucking knee. Yeah, his lone (laughs) knee and then part of his neck. That's right. Because he had every other part covered because he was like, I'm not getting sunburned this time. Uh Uh-huh. And now he's just got one sore, hot knee. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's hysterical. What a good tan line. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. He's going to have one tan knee. Super tan. Rip. Can you hear that? I'm sorry. <laughs> Hold on. Pause. Well, we're taking the opportunity. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, hello. Oh, hi. <laughs> you can keep all that in. <laughs> or cut it out. You know what? Whatever. We're this here. This is that Broad's Got Moxie. Yes, it is. We're talking to Danny about the editing. Obviously. Yeah, she She's can. here. Sound she, engineer. We jingled our ice cubes and mm-hmm. and our very fancy new cups. Thank you, Anita. That's oh. who they came from. Thank you, Anita. Yeah. And Keith, who got us the lovely Marionberry vodka. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's, that's Cassie over there. That's this me. I'm Cassie. <laughs> <laughs> We've been drinking for a while already. Mm-hmm. That's that's yeah. Kiana. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, oh, we're just not going <laughs> to I'm Kiana. We're just going to slide on past. Um, yeah, we're here. It's Saturday night. We're going to... Mm-hmm. It's been a while since we've drank cocktails. It has. Because we've been recording during the day. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that hasn't stopped us before. <laughs> <Has it? laughs> but In fact, on the way home, I was like, we were in the car 
driving home from the beach, exhausted. And I was like, man, I'm so excited to record at night. Like, we can, you know, I like to drink at night. And Danny goes, <laughs> don't you usually? <laughs> That's like, something about alcoholics drink during the day. <laughs> I was like, oh, episode five, you had like a Mai Tai. I did. I had several Mai Tais. Uh, oh, are you making noise over there now? That's a face. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, everyone. Danny's going to fall asleep in 10 minutes. <laughs> you guys have had a long day. Oh, my God. It's been so Beach long. Beach trip. Mm-hmm. And we went to and bed late last night. And now you're recording. Now we're recording. And tomorrow morning we're making jam. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a good day. All right. So it's episode. What episode is it? Girl, do I ever know? <laughs> 27? I forgot to write my names up there. I'm behind, so now I don't know. I think it's 27. Yeah. Danny's given us the okay. I, if it's not 27, we're going to label it correctly. So I go first. Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, I guess I should just start then. Yeah. I'm, who, are you, who are you talking about? Just to warn the just to tell the audience uh-huh. i'm wearing actual pants today <gasps> she's wearing leg traps leg traps and so i'm a little out of my element not gonna lie yeah, yeah. also can't <laughs> on the way home danny goes so kiana just texted me who she's doing <laughs> <laughs> and it's someone i suggested for you to do good thing you never listened to me well that's that's next episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, tomato, tomato. You know what I mean. <laughs> I just thought that was really funny. Okay, so okay. who are we doing? Leg traps out of your out of your element. Yeah, I'm doing Miriam Makiba. Miriam Makiba. Who is this? She's also known as Mama Africa. Oh, okay. She's a singer activist. Okay. Just just listen up, and I'll tell I'm, you. I'll tell you the I'm story. Settled in. I'm ready. Um, I went real, for sources, real heavy Wikipedia this time. Okay. Because as you just revealed, this was a last minute. <laughs> <laughs> Give me as much as you can, Wikipedia. Thank you. And okay. also the online encyclopedia that mm. I mm-hmm. use all the time. Yeah. Okay. So she was born Zenzel Miriam Makiba uh, on March 4th, 1932 in a black township of Prospect near Johannesburg, South Africa. South Africa. Okay. I was like, where did is I that say again? Johannesburg? You did say Johannesburg. <laughs> My, isn't it Johannesburg? I don't look. Well, I, I don't know. I know it's it in might South be Africa. in other places, but I have no business pronouncing it like that. It's Johannesburg. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fine. Um, <laughs> her parents were Christina and Casewell. Uh, her mother was a traditional, that, that's their names. Her mother was a traditional healer and domestic worker, and her father was a teacher. Mm. Uh, when she was six, though, her father died, and her mother was left to take care of all of her six children. Oh, okay. And this is also apartheid. Yes. South Africa. Yes, okay. That she's growing up in. So after her father's death, her father moved to, her family moved to Transvaal to be with the family. <laughs> That'd be weird. That would be weird. (laughs) The ghost of her father packed up and moved to another Let's go, kids. (laughs) That's my ghost impression. It's also your Julia child. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's all I thought about when you did that. I was like, wait, her dad is Julia Child? First you take the chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Things are going downhill quickly. I'm also all of a sudden sweating a lot, so I gotta take off this ascot that I decided to rock today. My pants are coming off soon. They are quite warm over (laughs) and full of sand. I'm really warm right now. And it's probably because my legs aren't free to breathe. (laughs) This was a choice that I made. Also vodka. Oh, yeah, that too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So she moved with her family. Um, Even after the move, the family suffered financially. And so her mother had to move to Johannesburg, the big city, to work as a housekeeper for white families and Uh be separate from her children. That's a bummer. Yeah. So at six years old... Miriam is being raised by her, like, grandparents and cousins. Oh, okay. And also during this period, she got a job. <laughs> At six? Yeah. <laughs> oh, for Pete's And, sake. like, she nannied mostly. Okay. But, like, at six? <laughs> I, right? Nope. But that's just how things went. Yeah. I, it's the 30s. I mean, what are you yeah. going to do? That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was... At this time, with her family, she was influenced by their music taste. So her, like, cousins and grandparents... It was a big house of a bunch of people. That's why Uh I just say family. Yeah. But, like, her older family played traditional instruments a lot. Mm -hmm. But then she had, like, her older brother and, like, other cousins who had record collections of, like, American music during the 30s. And a lot of, like, jazz. Oh, okay. And she liked this a lot. Mm -hmm. That's an important setup because she later becomes... A musician. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, in 1949, she married a policeman named James Kube, and in 1950, they had a child together. However, it was believed that he was abusive towards her uh-huh. during this time, and she was also diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, <laughs> Living a shit. hard life. But he, the abusive one, was like, uh-huh. you have breast cancer? I'm leaving you whatever and then that ended their two-year marriage and then she doesn't have cancer anymore okay cured that's the word i'm looking for (laughs) i I just didn't write that down it just doesn't it just wasn't there anymore yeah she's just it was just gone gotcha but now she's left to support her child Uh her daughter and so she picked up domestic work but also began to sing because she was a really good singer she did it in church. She did it with her family. Uh-huh. And so she decided, you know... Maybe I can make some money doing this. I could profit off nice. of this. Um, and so in 1954, she became a professional vocalist and performed almost exclusively in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, although it was a risky career choice, her family supported her because obviously they were really into music. And I think her father played, like, instruments and stuff as well. Okay. So it was like she was following his footsteps. Yeah, yeah. Um... And so she joined a group called the Cuban Brothers, mm-hmm. and they sang covers of American songs. So That's like, awesome. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love that she joined the Cuban Brothers mm-hmm. in South Africa mm-hmm. and sang American music. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real mishmash. Yes. And then she left the Cuban Brothers. Uh-huh. She was like, well, this is weird whatever <laughs> i'm going to join the Manhattan Brothers. Perfect. And then they sang American jazz. Okay. So, she was a part of the Manhattan Brothers, but she didn't travel with them Mm -hmm. as they were, like, touring the country or whatever. I should say the continent. Touring the continent. 
And so while they were abroad, she joined another group. And this was an all-woman singing group called the Skylarks. So together with Dorothy Masuka and Dolly Rathby, the Skylarks sang a fusion of jazz and South African traditional tunes. Cool. So several of their songs became popular Uh and they were described as, quote, real trendsetters with harmonization (laughs) that had never been heard before. Real, real go-getters. Yeah. Really, really Really tapping the charts. Spicing up the game. Yeah. (laughs) And in 1956, while she was, so she got success Uh as a Skylark and also as a Manhattan brother, really. But in 1956, while she was still with both groups Mm -hmm. at the same time, she also released a solo song. Ooh, this woman's busy. She is probably the busiest woman I've ever covered. And there's a bunch Wait, of... Wait, she's just like, here, and then here, and then here, and then gets, doing this. It gets more. I had to cut out a lot of the <laughs> stuff she did in her life. Uh-huh. So if anybody wants to actually, like, look into her, mm-hmm. she I, she was never not working. Wow. Yeah. Anyways. God bless. <laughs> she's really... I had vaguely heard of Mama Africa. Uh-huh. But I didn't actually know her real name, and I didn't know exactly what she did. Mm-hmm. And the answer is a lot. And clearly, yeah, her name is Miriam. But <laughs> uh, so her song "Lovely Lies," the solo one she released, mm-hmm. became the first South African song to chart on the U.S. Billboard Top 100. What? Mm-hmm. Although this wasn't like the breakout that. Uh huh. What year was this? Fifty-six. Nineteen fifty-six. Okay, that's crazy. Yeah. And a few years after this success, she was still just touring around South Africa. She hadn't left yet. Uh, She made a cameo in an anti-apartheid film called Come Back Africa. Mm -hmm. Uh, She only had about four minutes of screen time. She sang, I think, two songs during this time. But the impression that she gave the viewers was, like, the thing she needed. Yeah, yeah. To be boosted into, like, international fame. So she gained international recognition for it as I said, and Mm -hmm. traveled to the U.S. and Europe to perform. And she connected in the U.S. with Henry Belafonte. Harry. Hmm? Harry. Did I say Henry? You did. And I was like, wrong! (laughs) It's Harry. (laughs) I haven't written Harry, but my name's Henry. (laughs) That's true. But also, I was at home, and I don't know why I want to say his name is Henry. Because I wrote down Henry a few times and was like, no, his name is Harry. Yeah, my grandma was in love with he, Harry Belafonte. Him and Elvis. Good, so. good too. <laughs> I was like, good too. get it, Graham. But she met with him. Uh-huh. And he sort of mentored her and started helping her release music. Oh, okay. Um, and they wrote a lot of songs together. But that's further in the history. Okay. Um, so she's in Europe right now. She's with Harry. They're writing stuff. And then she got married, not to him, but to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And then she was married for a few months, but then she got a divorce. Didn't last long. Okay. Okay. She had a, she, I was like... I'm moving. So we're moving around. Gonna we're going shuffling. here. We're doing all these different things. Okay. Oh, uh, she got married you're a few times. also not sitting on your pillow. That's... That's something that's... <laughs> I was like, the ground is harder today. <laughs> Than usual. I didn't sit I, down my pillow. Look, I realized it was just sitting behind you, and I was like, I wonder why she's not sitting on her pillow today. Well, now I'm her harem pillow. That's not what that's called. <laughs> it's not a. It's a dog pillow. Cause I'm that bitch. I probably made that joke. One hundred percent. That bitch. 
Hello. <laughs> um, that was probably a lot for the, the listeners to take in. <laughs> it, it, it just happened there. But it... She... Look. She was doing her thing. Got married. Didn't got last long. Got divorced. Exactly. Moving on with her life. Yes. So, she was in Europe and now she's in America. She was like, I got a divorce. I'm gonna move to Greenwich Village. Okay. And here she began recording more songs. Mm-hmm. This is really just her working, because she's constantly working. Yeah. Time Magazine called her the, quote, most exciting new singing talent to appear in many years. Mm. And Newsweek compared her voice to the, quote, smoky tones and delicate phrasing of Ella Fitzgerald. Oh, girl. And the- I love it. And the intimate warmth of Frank Sinatra. Oh. Yeah. That's some good music. I'm gonna have to fucking download some of this. You gotta. Yeah. I was listening to some of it while I was writing. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah. Oh, oh I'm into it. this. So she was doing pretty good for herself, but and she was producing all this music, but she wasn't receiving royalties for it. Naturally, of so, course not. She was very poor. Mm-hmm. So she was a talented singer, working her all these fucking heads, ass off, and a babysitter for oh. a family in Greenwich Village. And I wrote down. Because it's tough in these streets. And she was experiencing <laughs> some financial insecurity. Did she ever sit down? I don't think she did. Good lord. So, essentially... I'm exhausted just listening. <laughs> essentially, from this movie, Come come Back Africa, yes. she was able to get more opportunities as a performer. However, it did also come at a cost. So, the movie was anti-apartheid. And the South African government at the time was, in fact, super pro-apartheid. Mm-hmm. So the government wasn't too fond of her message. And she, when she went to Europe to tour, they actually exiled her from re-entering. From, from re-entering South Africa? Yes. Okay. So she's now in exile. Okay. But she didn't know this until over a year later when she <gasps> tried to enter the country for no. her mother's funeral. And they didn't let her in. What the fuck? Yeah. <clears throat> oh, shit, man. So, of her exile, she said, I always wanted to leave home. I never knew they were going to stop me from coming back. Maybe if I knew, I would have never left. It is kind of painful to be away from everything that you've ever known. Nobody will know the pain of exile until you are in exile. No matter where you go, there are times when people show you kindness and love, and there are times when they make you know that you are with them, but not of them. That's what hurts. Ugh. Yeah. That breaks my heart. She's not one to sit down, though. So. Yeah. This whole event had a big impact on her as a creator. Because. So it's important to know that her mother and two of her family members died in the Sharpville Massacre. Okay. So the Sharpville Massacre took place after a South African. After South African police officers opened fire on a crowd of about 5,000 people protesting pass laws, which was essentially, like, black people in South Africa needed special passports to enter in parts of the neighborhoods and stuff, Uh or to leave neighborhoods. Okay. Just to, it was to, quote, control the influx of black people. Yeah. In South Africa. What the fuck? I just can't. Fuck! (laughs) But they were protesting this. Police officers open-fired on the crowd, Mm -hmm. and 69 people were killed and 180 people were injured. Oh, my God. Uh, Many of the people who were injured or died were shot in the back as they were running away from the gunfire. What the fuck? So it was a very bad time. Yeah. (laughs) Prior to this, 
Miriam had tried to be kind of non-political in her performances. Uh Uh-huh. But, I mean, after this, she just felt this huge responsibility to help the people in her country. Absolutely. Because she was able to leave. Like, she didn't need... She wasn't experiencing that. Mm Mm-hmm. But other other people couldn't. Yeah, but being from there and then, like, looking at it now from the outside in, mm-hmm. it's like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And it was still personal because she had family there. Yeah. And her daughter was still there because she had left the country without oh. her daughter. But at this, at this point, she uh-huh. was able to get her daughter to live with her. But it was, it was still, like, super traumatic. It's so devastating. Yeah. So she felt this responsibility. And in 1962, she testified before the United Nations Special Committee Against Apartheid and asked for, first off, economic sanctions against the National Party government. And she also requested that there be an arms embargo with South Africa. So her argument was, if we sell them weapons, they're going to be used to kill the black people in the country. Didn't actually see if that went forward because of her. Uh Uh-huh. But after she did this, it, like, royally pissed off the government. So before she was just not allowed to re-enter. Yeah. But now they took away her passport, so she was a stateless person, and they banned any of her music from being played in the country. Yeah. They took it one step further and was like, nobody here even gets to listen to what you have to say. Exactly. Shit. However, she was soon issued passports from, like, a bunch of other countries. I think in her lifetime she had nine passports. Oh, wow. Yeah. And ten honorary citizenships. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) So... (laughs) Damn! Everyone loves her! (laughs) Except South Africa. Exactly. (laughs) So, while her identity... Like I said earlier, she wasn't too political, and her identity as a South African was actually downplayed in her first album. Mm -hmm. Her second album, she was like, here it fucking is, here I am. Boom! Exactly. And it's her second album, which I didn't write down the title to, <laughs> was considered an early example of world music uh-huh. as we know it today. And the album peaked at number 86 on the Billboard Top 100. Wow. The album was also popular in Europe at this time. So she often traveled between the US and Europe doing her performances. Miriam's music had a, quote, cross-racial appeal in the US. Mm-hmm. So white... Americans were attracted to her because they were like, "Ooh, look at this exotic, like, right. African. Oh, she's so, oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, we're so, we're so trendy and hip because we're, we're listening we're, to we're, an African woman. We're world travelers. Uh-huh. Exactly. Um, but it also appealed to black Americans who related the messages of segregation and yeah. that were in her album to what was Jim Crow laws uh-huh. in America at the time. Exactly. Because she was one of the most visible Africans in the U.S., she was treated as emblematic of the whole continent of Africa. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> she that's when she, they started calling her Mama Africa. Oh, okay, okay. So, she... I'll tell you later when she starts to embrace the name, but at first she just didn't like it. <laughs> she was like, I'm not representative of the fucking continent. Yeah. And, like, also... Me and South Africa aren't really in great exactly. terms right now. I don't want to be acknowledged by them. Exactly. Or by you because of them at all. Yeah. My name is Miriam. Miriam. Please. Call me my damn name. Yes. hmm <laughs> But, I mean, it didn't stop people from calling her Mama Africa. 
So she was among several black entertainers, activists, and intellectuals at the time who believed that the civil rights movement had to be supported by popular culture to really reinforce the message. Uh Uh-huh. So it was during the time of, like, Nina Simone. Yes. Yeah. And throughout the 1960s, her involvement with black-centered political movements, including, like, civil rights, anti-apartheid, black consciousness, and black power movements, Uh her presence just grew within these groups. Gotcha. And in 1964, she went to the UN again a second time, and again, was calling for action against South Africa. In 1966, she received a Grammy for the album An Evening with Belafonte and Makiba. Uh, the album dealt with... Oh, okay. <laughs> That's... I. Now that you say that, I'm like, I've definitely heard the name Makiba before. Mm-hmm. Because I love that album. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's her voice on there. That's crazy. Yes. All so, right. look at me. <laughs> I'm, I'm you. you know things. I'm such a world traveler. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just so well, <laughs> well cultured. Well, I'm so cultured. I can't handle it. <laughs> so the album dealt a, a few songs with the political plight of mm-hmm. black people in South Africa under apartheid. And a few were also just, like, super critical of the government as well. Yeah. Um, in 1967, the song Pata Pata was re-released uh-huh. and became her most famous song. Hmm. And that's the one I was listening to while I was... Okay. It doesn't... The name doesn't, like, catch me right off the top of my head, but I listen to Harry Belafonte, like, radio station all the time. Mm. So... Maybe I'm you've sh- heard it. I'm sure I've heard it, Yeah. A magazine described the song Pata Pata as a groundbreaking Afro-pop gem, whereas Miriam described it as one of my most insignificant songs. <laughs> She's like, I mean, it was okay. I don't know why everybody likes it so damn much, but I just think it, it just didn't think it had a, like a message in it. Uh-huh. But she was like, so I was like, right? One of those, it's just like, it's a bop, but it doesn't yeah. really have a lot of like oomph to it. And she was like. You're the missing <laughs> the fucking point, guys. Yep. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> in 1968, she married Stokely Carmichael, who was a prominent member of the Black Panther Party. Mm. And, of course, the U.S. didn't like the Black Panther Party. It sure didn't. So, her popularity decreased, like, immediately following the marriage. Mm-hmm. Also, <laughs> Americans began to regard her as extremist. And... Like, most of her concerts were canceled. Like, that oh, were in the wow. lineup. And also, because she married him, uh-huh. the U.S. put them and her under surveillance. So oh. the CIA and the FBI... Fucking were, blacklisted them. ...were following her and also put, like, microphones in their house. And uh-huh. were, like, bugging... Like, oh, shit! Yeah. <laughs> and so, obviously, her and him were like... Let's go on vacation. Get away from all of this. Uh huh. But then when they left, she was then she wasn't allowed back into the country. So that's two countries that she's now. Oh, for from. Pete's sake! Yeah, she's not having a good time. No, her track record is not great. No, and to n- not her fault at all. I mean, people are just going. Mm-mm, we don't want you back. Yeah. It's because she had, like, a powerful message and people were afraid of her. Uh, and she yeah. was a powerful woman and people yeah. didn't want that influence. Yeah, she was a, quote, 
angry black woman, mm-hmm. which is the scariest thing to, uh, you know, white cis heterosexual <laughs> Americans who are yeah. like, what? No. Not everybody's enjoying their time here. <laughs> but this is the greatest country ever. I yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so she was refused entry into the U.S. again. And so the couple then moved to Guinea, where they lived for the next 15 years. So she kept performing in Africa and Europe during this time. Mm-hmm. Because she, well, that's where she was allowed to be. And she also continued her activism. So this is, like, the portion of her life where I'm cutting out a lot of her uh-huh. activist efforts. But I cannot stress this enough. She was a busy woman. Yeah, she, she was. She was on top of shit all the time. For the sake of time, I could not add more into this. Mm-hmm. It is packed full of information. I'm like, <laughs> I'm sitting on the edge of my seat just like, what's she doing? I mean, she's just all over the place. Well, are you ready for this? Because, uh, so she's living in Guinea now. She's performing. Mm-hmm. She also just picked up the casual job of being the of being Guinea's official delegate to the UN. Holy (laughs) shit! So she's a UN delegate now and is addressing the General Assembly, Uh speaking out against apartheid. Oh my goodness. And during this period, also, many African nations were gaining independence from colonial powers. Okay. So during celebrations of independence, she would be invited and to perform... So she was going from country to country in participating in these, like, huge, significant ceremonies. Uh Uh-huh. Just interject real quick. I find, I think it's just really fucking rad that she went from, like, not having, like, anything Mm -hmm. and having a job as a six-year-old. Yeah. Watching people's children to then making music to then taking her music and traveling all over the world with it and then becoming an activist. And now she's a fucking delegate to the UN. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not only not only talking to the UN and arguing, you know, anti-apartheid, she's also like still performing. Yeah. <laughs> Holy fucking shit. <laughs> she did she that's she was constantly working. She did not sit down. Whew. But it was during this time, so, not but, but yes, but, but. Yes, but. <laughs> but, but. Big, big two thumbs up to but. <laughs> uh, <laughs> whoop, whoop, but, but. <laughs> so, during the ceremonies and stuff that she was going around as yeah. countries were getting independence, she really be- began to embrace, like, oh, yeah, I'm Mama Africa. Uh-huh. Like, come, come, you can call me that. I'm, Ugh. Mm. I'm fighting for... The recognition of black people all around the world, specifically on the mm-hmm. continent of Africa. Mm-hmm. And then in 1978, her and Carmichael divorced. Okay. Just casually. It was fine. So in... <laughs> it's in, cool. Don't worry about it. In 1985, her daughter died oh. in childbirth. And so she was left to now take care of two grandchildren. So she moved the family to Brussels and then just continued to make music Mm -hmm. and now was working on her autobiography (laughs) and her 
the bi- the autobiography was titled Makiba My Story. And the book contained descriptions of her experience with apartheid and was also critical of the commodification and the consumerism she experienced in the U.S. So that's where she talked about her dislike of the name Mama Africa. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. She was like, this is, this isn't genuine. Yeah, yeah. So, in 1990, following pressure from the international community, South Africa began rolling back on apartheid organizations. Nelson Mandela was released from prison, and he specifically asked Miriam to come back and visit the country again. And this officially ended her exile. What? Yeah. (laughs) My brain just fucking exploded. (laughs) Damn. In 1999... She was named a Goodwill Ambassador of the Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations. Casually another job. Uh Uh-huh. And she also worked closely with the South African First Lady advocating for children suffering from HIV and AIDS, child soldiers, and the physically disabled. In 2000, she established the Makiba Center for Girls, which was a home for orphans, Uh and she considered that project to be her most, like, personal and that impacted her the most. Uh Uh-huh. In 2005, she announced that she would retire (laughs) and began a farewell- I don't believe her. (laughs) And began a farewell tour. Is this like a Cher (laughs) farewell tour where there's been- Well- (laughs) 12 of them? (laughs) It lasted a while, <laughs> and unfortunately, on November 9th, 2008, she was performing at a concert in Italy against organized crime, uh-huh. like it was a benefit concert, uh-huh. and then she fell ill during her performance of Pata Pata, uh-huh. her, her number one hit, and she um, later died that evening when the doctors couldn't revive her. Oh my goodness. So it was literally, she was... Working until the very end. And not even... Wow. Working for the till the very end for another cause. Ex- ex- not like even she- for herself. She's like, what can I do to help Italy? Yeah. <laughs> Let's raise some money against organized crime. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. She was just... She's like a- an energizer bunny. Honestly, like... Pe- people should look into... Because she also... in. During that time between her farewell tour and her death, she had come out with a second book. She was still doing her activist gig. She was just the hardest working, most selfless, fantastic people that I've read about. Wow. And I couldn't, I could not cover how much she did. (laughs) (laughs) This would have had to be like a three part episode just to be like, she helped this, you know, she helped this country with this issue and this country mm-hmm. with this issue. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Holy hell. That was that. That was that. What a great story. She sounds incredible. She just did so much. <laughs> Man. <laughs> I Does that make the rest of us fucking slackers? I like- for like five hours. <laughs> Actually, I've gotten into this habit this past few weeks Mm -hmm. of waking up, being tired when I wake up, Mm -hmm. and then taking a nap. Okay. (laughs) And then, so, my actual wake-up time is at 10. (laughs) And I don't think Miriam was ever doing that. 
<laughs> I don't think she slept or sat down ever. She probably sat down to, like, write stuff. That's true. You can't walk and write at the same time. Your handwriting's illegible. Well, unless she had, an, like, an assistant and dictated it. She doesn't seem like that type, though. Yeah, you're right. You know what I mean? It's like, Can everybody's fucking busy. <laughs> clinkity, clinkity, clink. Sorry, I was trying to drink and talk. That's okay. I'm going to do it now, too. <laughs> Danny's going to hate us. Yeah. <laughs> also, because Danny's falling asleep, I keep looking over at her, and I'm like, is she giving me a stink eye, or is she giving me a sleepy eye? Because I can't really tell. Danny's just pissed. <laughs> She's mad that we're drinking. <laughs> She's mad that she drank too fast and got drunk before dinner. <laughs> she was drinking on an empty stomach. <clears throat> yeah. She was. Ice cream and... And uh, French fries. French fries. Aren't going to do it. They don't do much. That's what for sure. What are you talking about today? So, I was so... Look, I'm just on this, like, this thought train, right? Mm-hmm. So, what started with the Golden Girls. Okay. And doing, like... A group of women, mm-hmm. right, in, in a TV show. Mm-hmm. I was like, what's another TV show that I love? And then I did Winona Earp. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I love Winona Earp, you know, and then we talked about it being yes. a Western. Yes. <clears throat> so staying it. in that in oh. that vein, <laughs> I know, it's all over the place. <laughs> Actually, it sounds pretty linear to me. <laughs> Look. Okay. This week. Hold on. I have to turn my... Sp- brightness on my screen down. I feel like I have to put sunglasses on. So, this week, I'm going to talk about Calamity Jane. Oh! Mm-hmm. I'm excited to know about her, because the only thing I know about her is that there are a restaurant chain <gasps> after her. Oh my gosh. Is it a chain? I don't think it's I a chain. I thought I've seen, like, three. Look. So, for Maybe all she's just really our, that famous. Probably. <laughs> so, for our listeners who don't live in the Portland metro area, mm-hmm. there's a restaurant called Calamity Jane on your way, like, on Highway 26 headed towards, like, Mount Hood. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And they have really fucking awesome giant burgers mm-hmm. and milkshakes. Mm-hmm. And... The bar, uh, the whole thing on the inside is decorated with, like, dollar bills that have been drawn on or colored or have things written on them. It's just, it's it's super good food, and the people there are super nice. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's very much like a saloon setup. It's such a saloon. It's, it's so great. So, also, as a connection to Winona Earp from last week. Mm-hmm. So Officer Hot has a cat. We're introduced to this cat. We just know that she has a cat. Yes. Right? So we know this, but we'd never find out the cat's name. Mm-hmm. So or see the, f- the cat. Or really see the cat. You will. Don't worry. You will. Spoiler. Uh, I know. Sorry. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> just giving everything away. Major plot line. Um, we see a cat. <laughs> So, because this fans knew that Officer Hot had a cat, mm-hmm. but it didn't have a name. So, they started calling the cat Calamity Jane. Mm-hmm. Or, some of them called her Cat Lamity Jane. 
Oh, but I <laughs> fucking love a pun. <laughs> exactly. So, Emily Andrus, the writer and producer and creator of the show, mm-hmm. just kind of fucking went with it. <laughs> and so, later on, when we finally see the cat, Officer Hop actually calls her Calamity Jane. Oh. So, I just... Danny reminded me of that last night when I was like, I'm talking about Calamity Jane today. <laughs> and she was like, oh, that's Officer Officer Hot's cat's name. And I was like, oh, you're right. So I just wanted, boop, connections are being <laughs> made. <laughs> A web of women. A web of women, indeed. Okay, so, kicking off here. Yes. Calamity Jane looked and acted like a man. Could shoot like a cowboy. She could drink like a fish, but also I put she could drink like a gold because Colleen's family oh. <laughs> are incredibly tolerant <laughs> of alcohol. <laughs> and so I just, I was like, <laughs> Colleen, we love you and your crazy family. Okay. Anyway. So she could drink like a fish, slash like a gold, Mm -hmm. and told tall tales to captivated audiences. She was born in Princeton, Missouri, on May 1st, 1852, as Martha Jane Canary. Or or Canary. I don't know. It's spelled like Canary, Mm -hmm. but... Just say Canary. I like Canary better. As a young girl in the Midwest, Martha loved being outdoors and riding horses. In 1865, at the age of 13, Martha, along with her parents and her five younger siblings, migrated from Missouri to Virginia City, Montana. So, like, for real. I hate. (laughs) Hold on. I hate cities named after other states. (laughs) I think it's the dumbest shit. Why do we do it? Virginia City, Montana. Montana. Look, they didn't have a ton of options at that point. They had, they were able, they, no. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to say no. It's an invalid <laughs> argument. There is a Virginia, a Virginia city. city in Nevada. Yeah. There's also a Virginia City, like New Jersey. Cities. There are a shitload of Kansas cities. There are so many things in this world. You're getting the finger. <laughs> there are so many things in this world. Name cities after them. We don't need... For real. Why can't we... Apple City. Boxcar City. (laughs) (laughs) I'm... Yeah. You know, I'm just throwing things out there. Anyway. Okay. So they moved from Missouri to Virginia City, Montana. This... We're talking, like, real life Oregon Trail shit. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Because that's where Lewis and Clark started. was in Missouri. Yes, independence. Independence, thank you. So, like, legit, they're on the Oregon Trail, complete with, like, fording rivers, losing oxen, dying of dysentery, <laughs> etc. <laughs> the whole nine yards. <laughs> the whole nine. So, during the... This was a five-month wagon train. Mm-hmm. Look, I can't sit on a plane for three <laughs> hours without getting antsy, mm-hmm. and they're cushioned yeah like however many hours in a day they're in this fucking like bumpy ass wooden (laughs) wagon i didn't think about these things when i learned about the oregon trail Mm -hmm. in fifth grade Uh uh-huh but as an adult i'm like 
how did they do it? I, I can't even wrap my brain around it. How many um years did you learn about the Oregon Trail? I've always been interested because from or- being from Oregon, mm-hmm. I had a lot of Oregon Trail. And I wanted to know if that was local or not. I'm sure it's probably local because oh. in fourth or fifth grade, I don't remember, I ha- I took a whole class that was just called South Dakota history. Oh. Which is another reason why I'm doing Calamity Jane. And I learned everything about South Dakota. But we talked a lot about the Oregon Trail in that class as well. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Prob- probably several. We talked about it in, you know, like American history. Yeah. Whatever years I had that. Can I tell you a funny story about the Oregon Always. Trail? It's one of my favorite, like, historical Okay. So a big worry for people on the Oregon Trail was dying of scurvy or like getting scurvy. Yeah. And so this family in a wagon was just constantly eating dried apples. (laughs) And (laughs) they got somewhere. They were like a state or two away from Oregon. Mm -hmm. They like this was the distance. And they were no, they were in Oregon. They were crossing the Snake River. Oh, okay. And the boat started sinking. They, like, it started sinking, and so the husband was bailing things, like, throwing things out, like, supplies, because it was making them sink. And the wife was like, throw the goddamn apples! (laughs) (laughs) Please throw the apples into the river! And that was, like, the only thing they kept. He was like, we will not die of scurvy, lady! (laughs) Oh my gosh! And I always think of that. (laughs) Did they make it? Yeah, they made it. They were able to tell the story and like apples intact. Yeah, and like dr- it's like dried apples too. Mm. Oh, I just and I couldn't imagine getting to that point no. of a travel, like a journey, to be like get rid of the fucking apples, or I swear to God, I'll just jump into the river myself. Take me, <laughs> take me now! I can't eat another goddamn dried apple. <laughs> That's great. What a good story. Thank you for that. You're welcome. All right. So. Where am I? Complaining about plane rides. They left from yes. Missouri. and Okay. So we're on the Oregon Trail, dying of dysentery. Yeah. Losing oxen. Eating apples. Eating apple <laughs> chips. <laughs> so, okay. So during the whole, during this five month wagon train trip, there's obviously, it's a wagon train. There's mm-hmm. not just one. So Martha spent most of her time not in the wagons with, like, the younger children and women, but out hunting with the rest of the men. So by the time the wagon train arrived in Virginia City, she was considered a remarkably good markswoman and a fearless rider. So a few months after arriving in Blackfoot, Montana, Mm -hmm. Jane's mother died from pneumonia. Mm. People were dying a lot of things. They sure were. And so shortly after that, the family moved again to Salt Lake City, Utah. So these wagon trains were obviously very treacherous Mm. and not very good luck for the Canary family. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as they got to Salt Lake City, Mr. Canary died. Of course. Of course. (laughs) So both of her parents are dead. R.I.P. Orphan. Orphan. Along with five, her five young siblings. Mm. So she's, 
I don't know if she's still 13 or, you know, or if she's 14 now. Mm-hmm. So she packs everyone up into the wagon fucking again and takes another months long journey and headed to Wyoming. Who died when she got there? <laughs> <laughs> Who died when she got there? <laughs> Some, I'm sure somebody did, but I didn't find that information. <laughs> okay. So when the family, when the family arrived, Martha took whatever jobs were available. So she was a cook a nurse, a dance hall girl, a dishwasher, a waitress, an ox team driver, and occasionally a brothel girl. Oh. oh. Woman of many talents. <clears throat> Indeed. And <laughs> in 1870, she joined General George Custer. I've we all know him. that fucking guy. Mm-hmm. And she joined, like, his crew as a scout at Fort Russell, Wyoming. So she cut her hair and donned the uniform of a soldier and was like, all right, let's fucking do this. Hmm. And this was the beginning of her habit of dressing like a man. Can I just say I didn't expect this because in all of the, like, visuals of, quote, Calamity Jane mm-hmm. in the restaurant mm-hmm. is her, like, huge boobs Tight red shirt, yeah, like yeah. skirt, cowboy boots, and a cowgirl nope, hat. Not even a little bit. Okay. <laughs> she was like real butch. Okay. <laughs> yeah. This is something I wasn't You're learning to. something. So it was during this campaign with General Custer that she earned her nickname Calamity Jane. So the way she told the story, which she told to everybody who would <laughs> listen. They're at Goose Creek, Wyoming, and there's this captain. His name is Captain Egan. He's in command of this post, and a bunch of these troops were headed out to, like, calm the Native Americans, you know, quote, quote unquote. Quote, unquote. <laughs> yeah. Went out there to, to, you know, temper things down a little bit and get everybody under control. Genocide. <laughs> Let's put a name Cash, to it. like, thank Attempted you. Attempted genocide. Exactly. And so then when the soldiers were heading back to the camp, they're ambushed mm-hmm. by a large group of fucking angry Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Captain Egan is on his horse and he was shot with an arrow. And so Calamity Jane, who was riding up ahead of everyone kind of in advance... After she heard, like, gunfire and, you know, that there's a commotion, she turns around, sees that Captain Egan is is slowly, you know, very dramatically, like, mm-hmm. falling off of his horse. And so she turns around and, like, speeds back to him and just catches him right before he falls to the ground and, like, pulls him up onto her horse and rides them to safety. And as he was... As Captain Egan was recovering, he laughingly, like, told her, I name you Calamity Jane, the heroine of the plains. So, nobody knows if that's fucking true or not, (laughs) but it's a good story. She's just a huge fucking liar. She let him fall. (laughs) (laughs) That's what actually happened. Right? It was like, did he really get hit? Any of this? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. 
So eventually all of these troops were ordered to the Black Hills in Western South Dakota, which if in case anybody cares, (laughs) Western South Dakota, like the Black Hills, Rapid City is where all the cool shit in the state is. Mm -hmm. Like that's where the Crazy Horse Monument is. And it's not great because it's a bunch of white dudes on a mountain, but Rushmore, Mount Rushmore is there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the the Badlands are there, which is really cool. The only thing that's cool on the eastern side of the state is the Corn Palace. <laughs> 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 which I did take Danny to five years ago when we went to visit my family. How was it? Okay. Reviews say fantastic. It was unreal. Spectacular. The bee's knees. (laughs) Truly. (laughs) It's a fucking... I have to give it a try sometime. Oh, my God. It's an event center Hmm. with, like, spires on the top. Like the the Kremlin. Yeah, like the one in in Mushroom. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. I'm getting hot and I'm losing my brain. Like the Candyland Palace at the end of Candyland. Mm-hmm. Right? With the big round balls. Taj Mahal. Thank you. <laughs> Bunch of buildings. <laughs> Wait, does the Taj Mahal not have that? I'm so confused. <laughs> <laughs> We're all confused. I'm... About the Kremlin and I am... Russia? In the red square, the one... It's Isn't like, that the Kremlin? This, this shape. Kremlin. It's like St. Peter's something. St. Peter's Square... But it's this shape. If nobody knows what shape I'm making, it's the it's it's because the this internet. is not a visual. It's the a no. medium. It is the shape I'm making is the American Sign Language hand gesture for vagina, but is also the shape I'm looking for. It's a like the a Kremlin. spade. A spade. I'm just trying to name shapes. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's got St. Basil Cathedral. Thank you. That's the one. Uh, I'm just off seeing... track. Anyway, I looked up St. Peter and it was just the dude. It's got those <laughs> things. And everything's covered in corn. Okay. And they make murals out of different colored corn. Hmm. It's very cool <laughs> because it's made of corn. Daddy brought half an ear of corn back because it was used in the mural and we needed a souvenir. She took it? <laughs> that does make it sound like she just, like, ripped it off. off the wall. No, no, no. Let me be clear. They were taking they were taking the current mural down oh. so they could start construction and put up the new mural because it was harvest time. Okay. And of the stuff they were taking down, Danny found a dark purple one, and it's very pretty, and she was like, I'm going to take this with me. Okay. So... Have no fear. Danny did not chisel away at the corn palace. (laughs) She is not a vandal. Where am I? Oh, my God. Okay. Western South Dakota. All the cool shit's over there. She's in the Black Hills. She's... Okay. They're all in the Black Hills. Okay. They're sent there to protect the settlers and uh, the miners, like gold miners, from the Sioux tribesmen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so in the spring of 1876, she met with General Custer at the Bighorn River, which is where 
the Battle of Little Bighorn mm-hmm. was, okay. which is also where Custer fell because a woman killed him. <gasps> I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's another story. Oh, it's another story. <laughs> I've studied all about her. Where was I? So, basically, she, she gets there. She's like, reporting for duty, sir. And he's like, I have some messages for you to take across the river. Mm-hmm. So, she swim. So, basically, he's like, I'm going to need you to swim across the Platte River, which is a river. It's not that big, mm-hmm. but it's still a fucking river. Yeah. And then when you get there, I'm going to need you to ride 90 miles soaking wet um, to go to this outpost to take messages to this other general. So she does. And after she does that, she contracts a severe illness. I wrote probably dysentery. I don't know. (laughs) One of the many you can get. (laughs) Exactly. She was then sent to Fort Fetterman, which is in South Dakota. Where she was hospitalized for two weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. She's not doing great. Uh, when she was finally able to ride, she headed to Fort Laramie, where she met Wild Bill Hickok, who was traveling via wagon train to Deadwood, South Dakota. That name sounds super familiar. You'll... I'll tell you why. Oh, okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> Bless you. So, <laughs> both of them, both Wild Bill and Calamity Jane, being outrageous storytellers and known hooch hounds, <laughs> I was like, how do you say heavy drinker but make it fun? <laughs> hooch hounds. That's what I found. That's what we are. Drinking a lot of whiskey. Oh, not me. Drinking a lot of, uh, hooch. what's that stuff we have Moonshine. in the freezer? Moonshine. We have moonshine in the freezer. Um, mm-hmm. The two hit it off immediately. They're they're bros now. They're besties. Mm-hmm. And so Wild Bill goes, hey, we're going to Deadwood. Do you want to come with us? I got fucking, you know, California Joe and, and oh, wait, wait for this other one. Okay. Valentine McGillicuddy. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Good name. Good name. We got we got California Joe and Valentine McGillicuddy mm-hmm. packed up in the wagon train. You want to come party? She goes, shit, yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good time. So they go on this uh, another goddamn wagon train. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the only way to get around. It really is. But <laughs> I, stay, just stay, just <laughs> stop moving, or just stay in one place. There's nothing there. Oh, look, I'm from South Dakota. There's still nothing there. There's so much corn. <laughs> There's a corn palace. There, there is. They made a, a castle out of it. <laughs> it is a temple of corn. <laughs> so as she's on this wagon train, she dis- she also worked as a Pony Express rider oh. and carried... The mail between different forts and Deadwood to like Custer and where his all all of his troops were, and she did this like she did these trips delivering messages over some of the roughest trails in black like Black Hills country, mm-hmm. which is not great. It's real rough terrain. <laughs> Side note, an interesting fact. So on August second, eighteen seventy six. Wild Bill Hickok was sitting 
at a gambling table playing poker. And this was at the 66 Saloon in mm-hmm. Deadwood. Okay. And I think right now there's a casino that is built in the same place that the 66 Saloon once stood. Okay. So, he's playing poker, and he was shot in the back of the head by a man named Jack McCall. Rip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> While Bill was holding a pair of eights and a pair of aces when he was killed. Okay. In his hand, right? And so that hand, two two aces and two eights, it has since been known as the dead man's hand. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So that's that's if, cool. If anybody is a poker player, and you've ever, if you ever have two eights and two aces, you have a dead man's hand. So fucking watch your back. Question. Yes. Do you know why he was shot in the back of the? <laughs> yes. Jack McCall found out that Wild Bill, who was an outlaw, mm-hmm. had killed his brother in a gunfight in I want to say Kansas mm-hmm. or some somewhere further east. Yeah. And had like come and tracked him down and found out who he was and what he was doing and just like walked up behind him and just pff, execution style. Okay. Yeah. Another fun fact. According to Wild Bill's wid- widow... Calamity Jane was at the saloon that night, but had forgot her, had like left her gun mm-hmm. in her room. And so she chased Jack McCall out of the saloon, wielding a giant meat cleaver. Oh my God. <laughs> Where'd she get that? She was playing I, poker. Look, I don't really know. <laughs> she must have chased him out the kitchen and just like snatched it as she ran. Oh. I don't think she carried one. <laughs> That seems... That'd make her really cool. (laughs) (laughs) That seems unsafe. In the Wild West, her weapon of choice was a meat cleaver. Oh, that's so creepy. That'd be cool. That's a cool story. Hold on. Write that down. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So after Wild Bill's death, Calamity Jane remained in Deadwood, where she was, you know, prospecting at various, like, mining camps. And then when the smallpox plague struck, which was not great, it wiped out fucking thousands of people. Yeah. Um, she nursed many people back to health. Even old Doc Babcock. <laughs> Good name. Uh, right. Once said, quote, oh, she'd swear to beat them hell. Excuse me. Hold on. <laughs> One more Let time. Me- Look, I'm trying to say this. I said it in my head like 40 times last night. And I was like, I'm going to fuck it up. Let me try again. Even old Doc Babcock once said, Oh, she'd swear to beat hell at them, but it was a tender kind of cussing. <laughs> that was great. I, I, I feel really happy with that, guys. I'm just pleased with the delivery. Thank you. Good job. Thanks. Um... Clemity Jane was a true Wild West woman and always was always up to some kind of mischief. So this, there's this group of actors called the Lard Players, which is not a great name. <laughs> no. <laughs> so they're performing at the East Lynn Opera House. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
they're doing some sort of terrible play. Mm-hmm. And so Calamity Jane shows up with a friend of hers, Arkansas Tom. Because fucking Kentucky Pete and Idaho <laughs> Kenny were busy. <laughs> Just, I can't, I can't deal. I love Wild West Oh names. my god, they're the best. They're so good. Reading, reading all of this, I was like, Arkansas, Tom, California, <laughs> Joe, fucking McGillicuddy, let's go. There was, so I've been watching Winona Earp. Mm-hmm. And this line killed me, and now I'm forgetting about it. But it was like, they called him Whiskey Daniel on account of the fact that that's what he calls himself. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, why did they say that? Oh my gosh. Because it's brilliant. That's why. Okay. (laughs) So Calamity Jane, fucking Arkansas Tom, taking a little show. And apparently... Jane hated the, essentially, like, the reveal, like, mm-hmm. the climax of the show when whenever, when all of the stories come together and it's the aha moment, right? She was like, this is fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so she stands up, spits this, like, long, disgusting stream of tobacco juice at the lead actress, oh. hits her in the fucking eyeball. Oh, it drips onto her. Oh, gross! It's the fucking. I put the. I literally. I put the barf emoji <laughs> in your nose because <laughs> it made me ill. Oh, and then fucking Arkansas Tom stands up and he's like, "Yeah!" I'm like, <laughs> and is like shooting all the lights out. They're causing a goddamn ruckus. Oh my and God. then they, like, fucking arm in arm walk out of the theater amongst, like, this audi- the audience was like, this is how you end a show! <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck, encore! Right? It was great. The crowd went wild. They loved it. <laughs> Unfortunately, the two would not ever see each other again because fucking Arkansas Tom was shot in a bank stick up the following day. <laughs> so, oh, what it was to be in the West. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my god, we're so good tonight. <laughs> okay. Whew, heavens. Alright, throughout the late 1870s, Calamity Jane helped build Fort Meade, which is near what's now Sturgis. Where the big fucking bananas motorcycle rally is. I've never heard of this in my life. Are you serious? God, everybody knows about the Sturgis motorcycle rally. I'm gonna bet that they don't. (laughs) Look, old people know about it. If you ride a motorcycle or have any connections to motorcycles, you know what Sturgis is. I moved here when I was a preschool teacher. And one of the fellow you were a preschool teacher. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yes. Okay. For uh, for three year olds. So my one of my fellow teachers was a motorcycle rider, mm-hmm. and she was like, "Oh yeah, every August we fucking get on our bikes and go to Sturgis, and drink and gamble and get tattoos. It's a time." It is not for the faint of heart. It sounds okay. 
I a little you. terrifying, to be perfectly honest. Anyway, that's where Sturgis is. And then, after helping build this fort, she was an unsuccessful gold miner for about a year. I feel like a year of trying to find gold and not finding gold <laughs> is too long. <laughs> like a month. <laughs> right? If I don't have gold in a, a month, couple I'm weeks leaving. of just shuffling around some sand in a pan. A couple hours, I'd be like, I'm done. <laughs> Was there a show on A&E about that? Yeah. I mean, there's a show called, I think it's called Gold Rush or something. It's all about gold mining. Think- but they use, like, machines and shit, which I think is cheating. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It doesn't anyway. sound like work I'd want to do. No. Also, Danny and I almost gold panned when we were in Alaska. <laughs> Just for funsies. <laughs> That sounds like fun. But we didn't have time. Okay. Where am I? I am so goddamn hot right. I am cooking already, but also now I'm sweaty. Okay. By 1882, she's in Miles City, Montana. Uh, She bought a ranch on what essentially became the Yellowstone National Park. Uh, She raised cattle and kept, like, a wayside inn. It's, It's basically Howard Johnson's, right? So she wasn't one to stay in one place too long. So she went to California and then Texas. In El Paso, she married Clinton Burke and had a daughter that she then gave up for adoption. For the next several years, she wandered around Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, Washington, Oregon, and South Dakota. Hmm. (sighs) Let's see. Where am I? Oh, there's... It's this... A fun, funny story about her. On June 10th, 1876, she had rented a horse and buggy in Cheyenne, Wyoming, mm-hmm. to go for, like, this one-mile joy ride just to Fort Russell and back. Okay. Uh, but she was so drunk that she passed out, <laughs> um, no. drove right past her fucking destination, and finally ended up about 90 miles away. <laughs> Where someone was like, how you doing? What what are you doing out here? Oh, my God. Yeah. Always the attention seeker and spinner of yarns, not to mention her reputation for being able to handle a horse better than most men and shoot like a cowboy. Her skills secured her a spot in Buffalo Bill Wild West show um, in 1895, where she performed sharpshooting while riding her horse. Mm Mm-hmm. She toured through Minneapolis, Chicago, St. Louis, and Kansas City, but always managed to get shithoused and then would get fired. Perfect. (laughs) Exactly. She worked briefly in a brothel before she was hired by, it was called the Pan American Exposition. Yeah. Which is essentially just like the World's Fair in, in Buffalo, New York. They paid her well to, you know, do her like, gun shooting horse riding thing Mm -hmm. but again she got all liquored up shot out the glass in this bar (laughs) and then apparently shot at a bunch of policemen who this is the most terrible thing but a bunch of irish cops Mm -hmm. in buffalo new york Mm -hmm. she's you know like shooting at their feet yeah and she basically was like do a jig come on let's do this not great. Bad. And then she stumbled down the street, like, cursing everything and everyone. So they were like, get the hell out and never, ever come back here. <sighs> okay. 
winding things up. Danny's like, thank fucking God. In the summer of 1903, Calamity Jane returned to the Black Hills for the last time. Mm-hmm. She's carrying a busted old suitcase and pleading with her liver to just please keep working. <laughs> oh, <no>. uh, <laughs> oh, it's bad. Um, she found refuge at Madame Dora Dufran's brothel in Belfouche. For the next few months, Jane earned her keep by cooking and doing the laundry for for all the brothel girls. Yeah. However, by August, Calamity Jane had taken a turn for the worst. Her last request was that she be buried next to the great American gunfighter, Wild Bill Hickok, on Mount Moriah, overlooking the town of Deadwood. And her wish was granted. The funeral was the largest to be held in Deadwood for a woman. Oh. And Calamity Jane's coffin was closed by a man who, as a young boy, she had nursed back to health from from the smallpox epidemic. Oh. Calamity Jane may have told some tall tales and exaggerated some parts of her life, but her legend as a sharpshooter, rough rider, all-around badass, and wild woman lives on. Hell yeah. And that is the story of Calamity Jane. Dang. Okay. I'm, I'm glad this is one of those stories where I'm like, okay, I finally have a story to a name. Exactly. She's not, she's not just this, mm-hmm. like... Emblem, symbol, emblem, whatever. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Real She's... quick. My sources. I okay. always forget my So no, I use a little bit of Wikipedia. Uh, Biography.com. Mm-hmm. Legendsofamerica.com. And allthatsinteresting.com. They were all just articles yeah. on her. Huh. So. That's. That's, that's it. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> if you enjoyed it. If you enjoyed this episode. <laughs> please rate, review, and subscribe uh wherever you're listening wherever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh um and you can follow us on all of our social medias we are on instagram and facebook at that broads got moxie mm-hmm. and on twitter as um at broads got moxie yes yeah and we have an email address if you'd like to reach out to us and it is that broads got moxie at gmail.com mm-hmm Okay, that's it. Okay, we're done. Okay, goodbye. Bye. Music by Sage Krenning. Cover art by Vinny Navarrete. Produced and edited by Danielle Barsanti. Side effects of listening to this podcast may include excessive moxie, zero tolerance for the patriarchy, sass mouth, excessive sweating, tipsy tittering, desire to stick into the metaphorical man, fear of cats, empowering women, clammy hands and feet, the inability to do math, lack of patience for the bullshit, thirst for knowledge, questioning the system, cravings for bougie chicken, vodka, and justice, and in some cases can cause death on hills.